uh, you know, part of the conversation we've been having as a church uh, has been around the idea that in the next year, five years, ten years, uh, the church is going through a, a pretty big shift. Uh, and one of the temptations, and the pandemic made this even easier, is to fall into a pattern of just doing churchy things. Uh, going to church, going to programming, um, making sure we come to worship, reading our Bible, number of times we're supposed to read our Bible a week. And, and just our time of prayer this morning, just I think, punctuates the reality that faith is not meant to be just an activity to be experienced. Faith addresses real-life things happening in our lives right now. And a lot of times what ends up happening is we, we come to church to do church, uh, and, and we let the bad things in life, we cover them up, we put a mask on, we hide, and we say, you know what, I'm here, everybody smile, um, you know, young families have been doing that forever, right? You just got you get your kids dressed and you got them here, and it's a minor miracle. And you know, you thought about taking them out on the way over here, and then you get here and then you smile, and everybody's good, everybody's happy, right? But life sometimes is hard. The relationship with Jesus that we're called to is never meant to be one that we simply come and we read scripture and we. We go through the motions and we make sure we've got, you know, something that the kids' ministry is doing really well or youth ministry is doing really well. Gosh, when we started, we went through all the things about starting a church 15 years ago, and there was a pattern even to that stuff. Like like in kids' ministry, you, you always end with the game and then the snack. You do a snack at the end because you want the kids to leave telling mom and dad they had a good time. I really don't think when Jesus was commissioning the church that he was like, you know, here's what I want you to do. When you get your kids together, make sure when they leave, they tell their parents they had a good time. Because even though we want our kids to have a good time, we certainly don't want them to leave and go, boy, that was the worst hour of my life. You know, we don't want that to happen. But at the same time, what Jesus wants to do within us is so much bigger than that. And this series is meant to call us to a place of saying the church is not simply a place where we come and do stuff. It's not just a place where we wait out till we die and we eventually get the reward of heaven. But, but God wants to do something in our lives now, and he has called us to a way. And so this is our third week, and last weekend uh, I wasn't with you, and typically the first of the year I try not to be gone too much, but we just, uh, through a series of things that had happened over the last year, uh, we, had, we had scheduled this past weekend to be together with our family and to get away and so Jimmy taught and it was just I think it was divinely inspired because Jimmy just did an awesome job if you weren't here last week you should go back and listen to it uh, just weaving together the idea of worship what it costs for us to be able to worship um, but but also just weaving together how God has worked throughout the Old Testament and the new bringing in uh, the Exodus and the Passover and uh, the Lord's Supper um, so he, I just think that was a, a fantastic, uh, he did a better job than I would have done. And so I'm really thankful that that's how that worked out. Appreciate Harlan stepping in and, and also helping to facilitate communion together um, with everyone. Um, so uh, I'm, today what I want to talk to you about, and I, I typically don't, I don't tip my hat on what we're going to talk about too early on the things that I'm not sure people want to hear. <laughs> I, I don't know if you all ever have that problem in life, like I so when you're going to talk about something, but I don't want them to know we're going to be talking about this because then they won't show up for the conversation. Uh, right? So today is one of those. Congratulations. If you're our guest, we're super excited. Today's the day you chose to be here. 
and it was good to see you. Um, I guess we'll never, we may never see you again. No, that's not true. Um, I want to talk to you today about the way of self-denial, of denying self. And here's what I want to preface this conversation with. Self-denial, as it has been portrayed in church circles, um, at least in my church circles, has been a holy uh, disservice to what true self-denial is. Um, It also paints a picture of faith in Christ that is not true, and Jesus himself never perpetuated, even though he himself called us to deny ourselves. The idea that following the um, Christ means going to just constantly be miserable, constantly be sacrificing, never being able to enjoy life, not being able to enjoy things. I, I literally know people who attend church every week um, who, if they start to have too much fun in life, feel guilty. Do you know anybody like that? Uh, maybe you yourself have, and have some point have struggled with that. But I will tell you this, self-denial is, I believe, one of the biggest secrets to abundant life than you can possibly have. And I want to talk about this through a couple of different passages, um, and then we're going to end our service. And if you'd like to stick around for the family meeting, we're not putting those online. Um, We're going to have a short family meeting after and talk about kind of where we are in this conversation we're having about the church and kind of what our next steps are. Um, Our prayer time, just to say it, uh, just for everybody, the 10 o'clock prayer time we've been having um, is now going to be incorporated just as we had it this morning in the service. So we're not meeting at 10. Uh, That was a, a, a wonderful time together. We will have more opportunities to pray together. Uh, but it, it also, that time um, is difficult for a lot of people that are have to be available for this this time. Um, so we're going to be incorporating that into our service, um, and we'll be doing that each week. And then we've got some some other things we're going to be do move uh, we're going to do moving forward. Now, if you've got a Bible and you want to open it to Matthew chapter 16, that's one of our passages. We're going to look at one passage where Jesus talks about self-denial, and then we're going to look at a passage where Paul talks about self-denial, and they give us really two different sides um, to what this looks like. And before I read this in Matthew, just to give you just some context for what why Jesus is saying what he's saying, uh, you, you have to become a student of the Old Testament to really understand the New Testament. And one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is thinking, well, you know, the only thing that matters is Jesus, so all I need to start with is Matthew, and then the rest is just interesting stuff after I've got what I need out of the New Testament. But the reality is, if you if you look at the number of references um, in the New Testament of the Old Testament, like the New Testament is the Old Testament, um, and what Jesus is doing is he is weaving a, a new way of understanding all the messages he's been giving throughout the Old Testament And one of the ways Jesus would do that is he would say something like, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And he would go and he would then illuminate what was really meant, that everyone was getting wrong. So in the Old Testament, as we come to this kind of understanding of the disciples and the conversation they're about to have with Jesus, the disciples are remembering the Exodus, just as Jimmy talked about last week, this beautiful, redemptive moment where they have cried out for rescue and God has rescued them, not only rescued them, basically have plundered Egypt and then they're moving into the promised land to um, a land that while there was a large period of time they did not, um, were not recognized as a nation, even today they are still a nation in this area. And so 
following that history, we read about um, these incredible uh, kings and judges, <coughs> excuse me, and the the you know most well known and the most celebrated king in their history is David, who liberated them from the Philistines, gave them into a new time of uh, a prosperous time of peace, uh, of being able to develop as a nation. Then we have Solomon coming in, which is a very interesting study. If you went with us through some, <coughs> excuse me, I'm by the way. I, over the weekend, I got sick. I have a, a nagging cough that won't go away, but I am not sick, so um, I'm not contagious either. But I just, in this day and age, you've got to say that, right? When you hear somebody cough, it's like, are they trying to kill me? You know, you don't know what's going on. So uh, just a nagging cough, I'm no longer uh, sick. But anyways, so David ushered that in, and then Solomon comes in, and we celebrate Solomon, which is really crazy because Samuel um, basically said, uh, the kind of king that Solomon's going to be like those are that's you don't want that. Like he's he's a terrible king. Now he did some good things, but if you go back and you look at, at uh, Samuel's prophecy of what a bad king was going to look like, like Solomon checks all the boxes. It's really amazing. We love Solomon because he looks very American. Because he grew the nation, he grew their wealth, he grew their boundaries, he had a big army, but he also had corrupted a lot of what God had called them to. It was. So Solomon, even though we celebrate him you know, as this really wise man said to be the wisest of all, is also the guy who says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. So, but they go through this time, and the disciples, as they're walking with Jesus, think what they have in their midst is either another Moses, another David, or another Solomon, who's going to usher into them a new time of peace, not with the Philistines, but with the Romans. And so their expectation is that when Jesus comes in, Jesus is going to overtake all of their enemies. He's going to establish them as the only world power in the world. And they, as his closest disciples, are going to lead this new superpower with Jesus. And not only is Jesus doing great things, Jesus is doing supernatural things. Like he's healing people and walking on water and can you imagine what he's going to do to Caesar? I mean, he can walk on water. Caesar can't do that. I can't wait to see what he does to Caesar. And in this time where Jesus would talk about the kingdom, the disciples would constantly get it wrong, and he'd be like, no, 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 no. That is not what I'm talking about. Until he comes to this place in Matthew in which he really wants to lay out for them, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I want your life to be as we move forward. And we're talking about it in this series because Jesus says there is a way that leads to life. Jesus would also say, I am the way. But if you will follow in the way in which I live life, you also can follow this way and experience this abundant life. And I just want to remind you, and I'm probably going to say this every week for a while, in our contemporary understanding of faith where our hope is placed in heaven, I want us to remember that that's not the way Jesus talked about eternal life. That's not the way that Jesus or um, anyone really in Scripture talked about eternal life. He would address life after death, but he was talking about your life right now as your heart beats and as your lungs fill with air, there is an abundant life available to you, and they would have also called that eternal life, life that is available to you now. And the very same things that gave life 3,000 years ago can give life today and in the next 3,000 years if Jesus doesn't come back yet. So there is a life that's available to us, and this is where we begin to tap into the secret of eternal life. So let's look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. 
They're expecting him to do some kind of uh, smackdown Bruce Lee thing on Rome, and uh, they're all of a sudden going to be the one that, that no one's going to mess with them because they've got Jesus, and this is what Jesus says. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, if you understand the mindset that Peter has, and it's not just Peter, like it's the whole, it's, it, it's the whole nation. Their understanding of the Messiah is a military Messiah to liberate them from the clutches of Rome. That is what they're looking for, and that's one of the reasons when it comes down to uh, Jesus' death and there's an opportunity for them to redeem one of the prisoners, they choose the one who is a fighter rather than Jesus because they don't believe Jesus is a fighter. When you say stuff like this, you're not a fighter. When you talk about, i got to die in order for this thing to move forward, well, that's, that just never works out. We've seen people promise to be the Messiah, and they die, and it never works out. They're just gone. It makes sense why Peter gets upset, and he's like, oh, no. Like, we got a plan here. I've seen you walk on water. I, we're taking over this whole world. It's going to be like our world. It's going to happen. We're going to be back restored to our former glory. We're going to be wealthy. You can imagine that in their minds, as they've seen how a nation has grown, they're probably going to be ushered into new levels of influence, possibly new levels of power, maybe even new levels of wealth for them because they're going to be leading this whole charge. It makes sense that Peter would be like, oh, no, no, no. I, I know how that goes. What you're talking about will never end up in that. What I think is also interesting, and just as a side note, we're not going to spend any time on it today, and just as a reminder, some of the things that we believe about Scripture are not really actually founded in a true understanding of Scripture. Just, just a footnote, the reminder that Peter at this point is called Satan. And one of the things we like to do is we like to say there is a Satan and that Satan is actively working against me. And he's in my dreams and he's got the pointy tail and the pitchfork and the red horns, which is totally, we get that totally from literature. We do not get that from the Bible. But in every place that anyone stands in opposition to God, they are referred to as Satan. So serpent in the garden could be Satan. Peter could be Satan. A fallen angel could be Satan. Mark could be Satan. There are, it, is, it is a stance towards God, not just, it's not a name. It's not like it's a proper name for somebody. It is a stance towards God where I'm in opposition to God. And Peter at this point is in opposition to Jesus. And that's why he says, you are the Satan right now and in this moment. So I, 
I don't know that any of you wanted to hear that when you came in today. I just want you to hear it (laughs) and recognize that in our lives, there are times that I'm absolutely following the way and there are times I'm absolutely the Satan because I'm in opposition to God. It is a reality of life and it is a call for me to get off of that way and onto the way of Jesus. All right, I just wanted to say that. This is a reminder. I think this is one of the preeminent examples that kind of breaks that cultural understanding we have of, of who Satan is because sometimes Satan is actually us. But he gets in his face and he says, no, this is what I have come for. And this deny yourself and take up your cross language, knowing what we know now is not what they knew then. They did not know that the cross would represent the death of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus or would be the symbol of our faith forward at this point they're like cross what are you talking about pick it up deny myself what are you talking about like we're talking about world domination here yet jesus and the way of jesus is a very different way of living life and this is one of the secrets not only to living a full life this is one of the secrets to even being able to approach god at all it is through the path and the way of self-denial I can go through a lot of talking about what that looks like in our culture. You know what that looks like. You know what that feels like. It's very easy to focus on ourselves. very easy to think about what are the things that I want to do, that I need to do. What are the things that are important to me? And one of the things that we are born with is, or not born with, is the instinct to deny self. We are born with the instinct to take care of ourselves. To deny yourself has to be learned. To deny yourself has to be an act of the will. To deny yourself has to say there's something better than what my natural self wants to do. And all of us will live our lives in that way unless something interrupts us and we say, no, there is a better way and I'm going to have to deny myself. One of the things when you're raising kids you have to do is tell them to do their homework, right? It's one of the most beautiful moments in the day when you have to tell your kids to do your homework, isn't it? You look forward to it. You can't wait. You're thinking, you know, my kids will be home 3.30-ish, 3.45. I get to tell them to do their homework, and it's going to be a beautiful moment between us. I said no parent ever. You know, there are things that we have to learn early on to deny ourselves. We have to teach our really little ones um, the process of of denying yourself early on when they cry for everything. And you're like, okay, we can't cry for that. You know, I don't want to eat my vegetables. I want to eat candy or whatever. You you, you teach a, a part of trying to just parent is teaching your kids self-denial is it not as we get older a part of living life is self-denial one of the things that frustrates me is when i I come in and and uh you know whether i'm i'm eating or going to a a, a, you know a store or something and whoever's working has airpods in that drives me nuts i'm like are you working or are you doing something else because i know that the, the store didn't give you those to listen to because we live in a time that even when we're on the clock and have expectations for a paycheck, but that's my time. I'm going to do what I want. That's for me. I'm not going to be completely focused on the job that I'm doing. When you go to school, if you're going to progress, you're going to have to learn to deny yourself. We've got several college students in our congregation. You are not going to make it through college without learning to deny yourself because there are a million other things you can do than study when you're in college. You've got to learn to deny yourself. If you're in a job that you don't like and you don't want to stay in this job anymore and you're like, I want to do something else. I want to move into a different career. 
you're going to have to spend time doing things you may not want to do in order to prepare yourself for something else you do want to do. Or if you're renting and you don't want to rent a house anymore, you want to begin um, paying for a home that you're going to own and you're going to develop you know, wealth through doing that because you will never get ahead by renting. You're going to have to deny yourself and stop going out to eat every night if you need a down payment for a house. Or if you're tired of your car breaking down, well, I can just keep fixing it or I can buy a car that's more reliable. But I'm going to have to deny myself so I have the money to do that. A number of people that I meet with that are just stuck in life are stuck in a place because they're unwilling to change anything about the place that they're in. It's always crazy to me when someone comes in and they can't, they can't pay their light bill, but they're on a pack-a-day cigarette habit. Now, it does not, that's not me judging them because they shouldn't be smoking. That's me saying, you know how much that money that is? That's your light payment. That's your light bill. But there are certain things, whether it be cigarettes or any other addictive thing, which is not just substance. Sometimes it's TV or phones or social media that we deny ourselves. How many times do you iPhone users, I don't think Android users have this. Uh, I don't. Maybe you do. I don't know anything about Androids. But iPhone users, about once a week, I get this notification. And sometimes it makes me sick to my stomach. Do you know the notification I'm talking about? Somebody say it. Screen time. You spent seven hours a day on your screens last week. What? I mean, hopefully not. I, you're, you are broke if you're spending seven hours a day on your phone, by the way, because you've gotten fired already. <laughs> but... I get that screen time notification. And whenever it says, that's 20% higher than the week before. Oh. Or, that's 5% lower. Yes! You know, you, there, there's a limitation we put on ourselves, and limitations in and of itself does not make somebody want to do it. I don't want to be limited. I want to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. I want to tell them I can't do it. In fact, a lot of the... The ethical issues we have in this world today is a culture that says you should not tell anybody they can't do something, which is fine until everybody does whatever they want and you begin to infringe on others and then you have to figure out, well, now what they want to do infringes on this group and well, how does this group feel about that? And now you've got conflict and now you've got to figure out conflict. In the kingdom of God, there's an answer to most of the issues that we have in life. And yes, it is Jesus. But what Jesus would say in part is this, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. There's a secret to living life. There are other words we can use um, for denial in, in, in some places. Um, and the next passage I'm going I'm to share with you is actually a different word talking about the same idea, but in a more radical way. I want to share that with you in just a minute. But sometimes we can interchange the word or the words self-denial with words like self-discipline or self-control. One of the things we talked about through our resilience series, if you want to develop resilience within your life, you have to be intentional. You will not accidentally become resilient. Whenever we look at ourselves and we think, boy, I just wish I were healthier or stronger. I wish things didn't hurt so much when I did them. There's a way, there is, there is a thing in life that is the greatest indicator of your quality of life for the rest of your life, and that is your willingness to be active, physically active. Just the very active exercise will strengthen your bones, will strengthen your muscles, will strengthen your mind, 
of all the games that we play on our phone to keep our minds sharp, none of them are as effective as simply being physically active. Now, some of you I know love to be physically active, and you're like, yes, praise the Lord, I love to be physically active. And others are like, physically active? What did I do wrong? Like, why are you punishing me? Sometimes when we get started working out, and a lot of people when they start working out, they don't like it because it's just uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. But anyone who has been really exercising and working out for any period of time, there is a point in which your body gets used to that, and then it feels great, and you miss it when you don't have it. I've seen over and over again in our family, and I've seen it in others, the old adage, use it or lose it, absolutely works. That's true. It's real. Our idea that somehow we're going to work and then we're going to sit for the rest of our lives, that's fine, but the rest of your life is going to be very, very short. Because objects that stay in motion or are in motion tend to stay in motion, and objects that are at rest tend to stay at rest. That is true of our bodies. Getting into that active cycle of living life, of doing things that matter, not just talking about it, not just planning for it, not just taking the latest diet trend or the latest pill that's going to promise that you're going to lose weight, but actually getting active and out there takes a level of self-denial or self-discipline, or the Bible also talks about self-control, which is actually also a fruit of the Spirit, something the Spirit does within us. It's a secret to life. If you're stuck... More than likely, not every time, there are all kinds of things that happen within life, but more than likely, self-denial will get you unstuck. This is the secret to life. We look at people who are super successful, we look at them after they're successful, and we think, look at just how easy they have it. And we miss all of the ways that they discipline themselves to the place where they became super successful, where... And, and let me just be clear, I'm not holding that up as an ideal in life. A, a lot of super successful people are super unhappy. But they limited themselves. Now in our faith, it's not simply something that we can divorce from Christ and say, you know what, if I'll just discipline myself, if I'll just deny myself, if I'll just be self-controlled, I don't really even need Jesus. It's just those, those actions, those activities And Jesus will go on to say something that just kind of rocks their world again. He was, by the way, the ultimate example of self-denial. There's no need for judgment, no guilt. He had perfect union with the Father. He had eternal life, an abundant life, and yet He gave His life for us. We read about Him in the garden before He was arrested. Stress and the grief was so strong upon him that he sweat drops of blood. He said, Father, if there's another way, take this cup from me. And yet he chose to do it as an act of self-denial. It's a secret to life. It's a secret to faith. It's a secret to knowing God. But there's also this incredible radical self-denial that Jesus would go on to talk about, or that Paul would go on to talk about in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He said this, he said, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Verse 7 says he emptied himself. It can also be used to talk about denying oneself. And Jesus is going to use this analogy in multiple other places. One of the places he's going to use that is he's going to talk about wineskins. And he's going, to talk, he's going to talk to his disciples about you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and don't live the way you did before. You are new, just like you don't take new wine and put it into an old wineskin. Put it into a new wineskin emptied yourself. This radical idea of denying ourselves that Jesus espoused was a radical emptying of ourselves of ourselves so that it can be filled with something else. We become something else. Emptying yourself out is one of the hardest challenges to any group of people. We will spend most of our lives trying to fill ourselves up, not trying to empty ourselves out. We will work long hours. We will leverage ourselves financially to get the latest whatever. We will take big vacations. We will take on hobbies and we will consume large amounts of media. We just, we're not a people who really enjoys emptying ourselves out. There's so many mysteries to this mystery of faith, and this is one of them. That abundant life comes in the emptying of yourself, not in getting everything you can and filling yourself up with it. It's one of the things that are just necessary for everything. It's necessary for repentance. You will never come to repentance if you don't come to a place of denying self because the need for repentance is there because we did something we wanted to do. It wasn't good and it wasn't healthy. But we wanted to do it. And sometimes our habitual sins are the things we can we want to keep doing. He says, no, you've got to come to a place where you deny yourself and you don't you do that no more. The key to walking with Christ, if we don't develop the ability to deny self, we cannot walk with Christ. It, it cannot happen. When the world looks at us, I I think a bit of offense to Leslie saying I'm not a rock star, but she's not wrong. That, oh, I thought you meant I wasn't a rock star. And to be quite honest with you, I am not. Like, there are people that walk in the room and everybody's like, hey! You know, remember Norm in Cheers? Like, Norm would walk in the bar by like, Norm! Like, Mark walks in the room and it's like, who is that? You know, I'm not a rock star. And in our lives and in our faith, But he value what God, <laughs> excuse me, what God values and what Jesus wants to do within our lives isn't found in that way. As we look through Scripture, one of the things that I do also find is this challenge for if you can just be as miserable as you can, 
you're a good Christian. Does anybody, does anybody ever kind of come up in that world, that religious world? Like, don't don't go to parties. Like, and that's not bad advice, by the way, depending on the party. Don't go to parties. You know, don't don't get too excited about anything. Be very self-controlled. Be very very cold and make you know make sure you don't do anything wrong and nothing offensive and you just there's a lot of people that go to church i say go to church because there's a difference in going to church and following the way of jesus there's a lot of people that have bought the idea that self-denial is misery and yet when we look through all of scripture of how god has called us to live god has called us to live abundant, amazing lives full of life and joy and fun. And one of the things that art through the last 2,000 years has done is portray Jesus as a stick in the mud. I do not believe Jesus was a stick in the mud. I believe Jesus told jokes. I believe Jesus laughed. I believe Jesus pulled pranks on his disciples. I mean, if you're like the the savior of the world and you can command you know all the elements and you don't pull a prank on your disciples like you're just missing out i believe jesus pulled pranks on his disciples right how the story of him walking on water did go but would not be fun if he was like <laughs> watch this hey peter come on out and peter sinks hi everybody laughs has a good laugh i don't really think that's how it went but i'd probably i think there are probably other things Whenever they would go through a season of denial, which would be a season of fasting or a season of Lent or a season in which they would, they would limit themselves intentionally, at the end of every one of those seasons was a party. To experience the abundance of this good life and good world that God has given us. Good people to do life with, to have fun with, to laugh with. Of course, to share our sorrows with also to share our joys with. Abundant life is not a miserable life. And the call to self-denial is not a call to misery. It is a call to a life that we will not get to left to ourselves. But when God intervenes and Jesus steps in and He says, I have real abundant life, eternal life available to you, you won't experience it without denying self. Peter and I joke we'll never stop working, like, you know, we'll never be able to retire. But if you want to retire at some point in your life, or at least not have to work in order to pay your bills until you draw your last breath, you're going to have to develop an ability to deny self. You've got to put money back. You've got to develop some kind of a retirement plan. And my goal is I want to be a Walmart greeter. What I want to do. I'm going to be that guy that's standing there and you're like, does he need like a hospital bed or what? I'm going to be that guy. And I'm just going to be, hey, how are you? He took a TV. You know, I'm not going to chase him. I'll be too old for that, but I'll be that guy, you know? I joke with my pastor friends when I retire, we're going to move to a deserted island and I'm going to have a little tiki bar on my own beach. We joke about that. You've got to develop. The ability to deny self to get to the best things in life. Left unchecked just to follow one desire after the next 
one craving after the next, one thing to fill our time after the next, is going to lead you to a miserable life. One of the reasons that we needed Jesus to intercede and to show us what that would look like, he would talk about self-denial in the terms of love as well. Did you know that? He said, because there's no greater love than someone who would deny themselves. That's not exactly what he said, but that's the concept he's giving. Would give their life for a friend. I don't know about you, I don't really want to be at the place where I need to exercise that kind of love. But I can give my life for my friends in many ways other than make, allowing my heart to stop beating for them. I can give my life when they need somebody to talk to. I can give my life when they need somebody to come and help. I can give my life to them. They just need somebody to celebrate life with them. I can give my life for them when I look at someone and rather than wanting them to celebrate me, I do celebrate them. I can give my life to them when they would tell me something good that happened and I can genuinely be excited for them and not need to interrupt and talk about me in that moment. I can give my life for my friends when something good happens and I don't envy them or I'm jealous of them. See, there's a way of following Jesus that leads to a wonderful life. And I'm not saying it's all self-denial, but I am telling you it is a key to everything else. Deny self. To deny self when you're, you're weak to sit with the, the three-year-olds during the worship service. And you had a long week. That's sometimes denying yourself. Denying yourself means if you're teaching or you're a small group leader, it means not just that you're willing to do it, but it means that leading up to the moment that you're with your people, you're preparing. And you could be watching and binging on something, but instead you're binging on God's Word so you have something to share with them. So you're prepared. That requires a level of denying self. When you go in to, to, to be with kids and you're like, oh, I'm going to get this over with. And instead you go in and say, man, I'm going to love these kids. I'm going to show these kids Jesus to the best of my ability. And I'm probably going to screw something up. But you know what? They're, they're not going to accuse me of not loving on these kids. I'd much rather you screw something up but go in there fully looking to love those kids and not just try to get out of an hour. Or youth. Or worship. Or small group. Or whatever else we do. Self-denial is when the email comes out and it says the food bank needs more volunteers. I volunteered last time. Very active tithing and giving and offerings is an exercise in denying self. The body is said not to be made up of a rock star pastor and these musical professionals and this group of people that underwrite it all. But instead, the, the church a body of people that each distinctly have something given by God to add to the community, and that's what they ought to do. And by doing that, the community builds, and as you give and as you pour yourself out, something transformational happens within you. This is what we want. The purpose of the church is to help transform the world. self-denial, celebration, mystery that we struggle with. It's something we need to spend some time on. Go have fun. 
one of the things we've committed to, not in any small part as a result of our time with not just our, our Bema group, but just with Bema in general, the idea of Sabbath that Deidre and I often feel that, well, we're pouring ourselves out for others. I mean, that's good, right? And God says, no. Yes. No, he doesn't say no. Yes, that's good. No, not taking a Sabbath is not good. And so we've committed. We don't. I don't really do New Year's resolutions. Um, it's kind of like going to the gym after the first of the year. You can't get on any machines because everybody's doing it. But by week three, they free back up again. I don't do many resolutions, and uh, and so this isn't a resolution, but it's a commitment that we've had to adjust our weekly schedule in order to have a Sabbath. And the point of the Sabbath is not that you just don't do anything. The point of the Sabbath, as is part of the point of worship, is to develop a, a heart of gratitude because it is hard to experience envy and uh, the need for more and cravings when you're constantly in a moment of gratitude. That's part of what worship is about, gratitude. It's part of what the Sabbath is about, to do things that add to your life, to enjoy life, because God gave us this life. He gave us the air in our lungs. He gave us this world to experience. He gave us each other to do life with and to laugh at each other and laugh with each other, preferably laugh with each other more than we laugh at each other. But sometimes a good laugh at each other is necessary for a good life, right? This is the difference in doing church and being the church. Part of it. It's part of it. If you commit to a life of discipleship, what you're committing to is to denying yourself to allow someone else to speak into your life and to say, maybe you should look at that differently. And if you're someone who's willing to be a part of the discipleship of someone else, it's an exercise in denying yourself because you're going to have to take the time out of focusing on you to focus on somebody else. Discipleship is an exercise in denying yourself. Relationships and our friendships, if you do not deny yourself in your friendships, those friendships will be shallow and will not last long. If you do not deny yourself in your marriage, your marriage is not going to be vibrant and full. If you don't deny yourself whenever you're around your church community, you will be distant from each other and it will be a place that we go to and a thing that we do, but it won't be a people that we are together. Exercise in denying ourselves. As we wrap this up today, don't have three things for you to do to practice denying yourself. One of the mistakes we make is trying to spoon-feed low-lying fruit when what God wants to do is a radical work within our own hearts as we struggle through, what does this really mean for me? I will say your story is probably like mine. There are days I deny myself wealth. I empty myself out. I feel transformed and full and there are days that I don't care about anybody but me. And if that's you, guess what? You are human. The reason, he says, work out your salvation. Work it out. We talked about being lie to the world. I, I ended that each, each week by simply saying the same thing. Just as physicians practice medicine, we practice this. Practice to get better. It's a way. It's the way. And I believe this is one of the keys. All right.
I told everybody it's going to be a shorter sermon. I didn't tell you all that because y'all don't believe me anymore. But uh, it's a little longer than I anticipated, but I just feel like this is one of the keys to life. All right? Pray with me.